So, yeah, you got a beer scene in Vegas, and you got a football team. We do. We can have a, a baseball team soon, controversially. Who's the football team? Not locked team? in. Raiders. Really? Yeah, the stadium's beautiful as well. When did they get the Raiders? A couple of years now. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be a lot of upset gangsters. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, and they all come to Vegas <laughs> now. Uh, so you don't go near the Strip during the Raiders games. We're going to have the A's soon. So we pretty much decimated Oakland's sports mm. scene. Apparently we're going to get a a new basketball team. Okay. Uh, that was the latest rumor. Like a net new one. Uh, <laughs> hockey. We've got the Golden Knights out there. Who always come very close to winning and then don't do it. So I think, mm, I think just, Vegas just part has of being a the right infrastructure for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Vegas just has the right yeah. infrastructure for, for those big events. It does, yeah. Absolutely, right? I mean, yeah. it's, uh, I mean hashtag Dreamforce Vegas, right? <laughs> I, mean, I love a Vegas conference. Yeah. Um, AWS reInvent last year was one of the best conferences I've been to in a really long time. Well, you guys probably Not know, just like Salesforce. but I've been lobbying, lobbying for Dreamforce to move to Vegas for a long time. Yeah. I think it'd be the perfect location. Right, wouldn't it? It would oh, well, be. I mean, yeah. I've heard horror stories, though, from the one time they held like a destination success education conference in Vegas that no one was attending their boot camps or courses because they were hungover during the day. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that's, I like mean, that that's happens anywhere, too, though, right? right? Everyone gets invited to the parties and there's just like an open bar and it's just. Some people don't know, know how to regulate. I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Nothing compares to, you know, that New York story? You remember? Yeah. This is so long ago. Yes, I'm, I'm not going to tell that, story. but wow. I, that was, I did learn a lesson. That was, that was my lesson of you go on a business trip and you let the client just get you drunk, way drunker than anyone should. Mm-hmm. I learned that lesson once. I was young and haven't done it since. So yep. I'm much better now. I've got some stories. Many stories. You also got a pregame before a conference. You got to get your tolerance up. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and I'm not good at that. My tolerance just keeps going down because I'm getting old. So I'm pretty sure that's why we banned alcohol in workplaces at Salesforce. Yeah. Many years ago. Yeah, yeah. We remember that. You remember that, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't we talk about that the other day, actually? I made a joke. Okay. Yesterday yeah. at our team meeting. Oh, that's right. That's right. Anyway. <laughs> well, uh, let's, um, let's kick this off right. Yep. We are so excited. Because we have a, uh, a special guest today. Benioff, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, he, I'm still working. I'm trying to work that out with him still. You know, his people and our people, they're kind of they're trying to work it out. It's going to happen, though. I hear but, Parker's available. Really? I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, that, that's the thing. You ask and you shall receive. Most of these people, you just ask and they'll, sure. You know, it's, uh, you know, got to work on the timing, but you can, it can all happen. We just, we've never been ambitious about that. No. But... Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, everyone. If you don't already know who I am, I am Stefan Chandler-Garcia, now developer advocate at Salesforce, but I've been around for what seems like a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Although I feel like, of course, uh, you know, again, being old, like everything seems um, very compressed to me. So I don't feel like you've been at Salesforce very long, but I know it's been like several years now. Well, no. So I just had my three-year anniversary at Salesforce. Yeah. But I've been in DevRel for two years. I was an architect for a year. Before I moved back to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, so you, I mean, I feel like you're killing it on the DevRel thing. What was the, um, what was the, what was it, uh, what was the conference where you had a, you, you got to do a, um, a presentation? At the, 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 the very small Dreamforce. Oh, yeah. The, the, the first right. post-COVID Dreamforce. Yeah. No, that was, that was great. I mean, on stage, which was nice. It's fun. I got to build a lot of the demos for that as well, so I was super connected to the content. And I still feel, I mean, that was the best 
that was the I, you know just from my perspective being a developer and everything right that, that was uh i think that was that was a really good session i think like it was a, I think it, was it actually had that, content to it you know yeah that year they showed a lot of code i think yes yeah. is, is what made me happy uh tdx i felt was this year was light on code and, and i'm not even gonna mince words it was very light on code <laughs> So there was a lot of talk about even even the stuff of flows. It seemed like it kind of moved pretty quickly, um, even though they had drivers, which I which I mentioned before, I really like the driver concept. But it seemed like they were just kind of going through them really quick and they weren't really letting us absorb any kind of code. Yeah, I can definitely say that we are going to be putting a focus on that, especially from a developer keynote perspective going forward to ensure that we do have a lot of that content. Yeah. Because it's, it's super important to showcase it because it's all going on all the work's going on behind the scenes from a developer experience and we're doing some really cool and innovative stuff for developers but we also need to make sure that that's showcased in the same way yeah because what we see we see hints of it we see hints of you know things being done or things being developed and trying to get feedback from the community which is always nice to see even on even on our slack community there there's salesforce people in there kind of posting and asking you know for feedback so it's nice to see that but when we see these events these major events it just it gets nothing. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the charter for Trailhead, what now? Trailblazer? What's it called it's now? Trailblazer now. Trailblazer. Trailblazer DX. I mean, it's definitely changed, but um, so it's, it's more hybrid. Um, but I don't think there's any reason why uh, that it can't have, you know, like basically like have content for developers and have content for admins. And of course, there's that mushy middle where the, you've got these, what do they call them? Admin developers? Isn't that what Christy calls them? Or I don't know yeah. if she coined that. She did. Here. did she? Okay. Um, which is great. Um, the thing that still that I think I would I like about Trailhead DX is it's the it's the event where the people that build stuff go, not all the selling. Well, you know, the Dreamforce is just it's all about selling, and it's just it's salespeople selling to salespeople everywhere. There's you know a hundred thousand of them, and it's that's not what Trailhead is. Well, or, so you, sorry, Trailblazer, you hit the nail on the head there. So the actual marketing remit for TDX or Trailblazer DX as it is now is it is the builders conference for people who are building using Salesforce, Slack, MuleSoft, and Tableau. Okay. So if you are hands-on building using those tools, there will be content here for you evenly and split up between all of us. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, code is a spectrum, right? I mean, if you're just because you're not, you know, doing angle brackets doesn't mean that you're not building stuff. And and also what you are building, a lot of times, it just boils down to angle brackets. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to deploy that. Well, that's just angle brackets, right? Somewhere. It's angle brackets all the way down. Right? So but more importantly, unlike the classic workflow, is it now shares limits with the code. Yeah. So your flows and everything, you know, your the, just, the number of queries or the amount of time, CPU time you're taking up, all of that you, you gets factored in. I'm speaking. I know you're cutting out. I know. Okay. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get into the mood, you know, okay. I'm trying to set the central I gotta, mood of... of I, coding here so this is where i have to piss off john so that he actually starts yelling at me <laughs> i haven't had enough of this give me enough of it this works. and I'll, it'll start the volume will start going it up. Will. um i mean but just just to, to quickly touch on that something that you'd probably never hear in a keynote which is part of the reason it was unfortunate that that's all of the content that you'd get to see not attending the event is things like we've increased the cpu time out limit on the bulk API transactions, so from 10 seconds to 60 seconds. And so if you're running hardcore bulk processing transactions, you've got a lot of flows, processes, workflows, whatever running in the background, mm. then we now have extended the limits for that in high data volume scenarios. Is that only, is that flow or is that just? A, it's across the board. So yeah. now explain that limit to me. It's bulk? So when transacting against Salesforce through the bulk API, yeah. 
the current set limit is 10 seconds per transaction for CPU timeout. It's been increased to 60. And so if you're running in bulk context via the bulk API, I think it's bulk 2.0 only. I need okay. to double check that. Then the, the limit is increased from 10 to 60. See, I guess, okay, it's I've used the bulk API some, but I'm not an expert on it. But I mean, the way I have used it is, you know, you create a bulk job and then you upload CSV files mm -hmm. up to 100, I think it's 100 megabytes each. And you just keep slamming in files until you've got them all uploaded. Well, then you hit, then you hit go, right? That you actually kick it off. And then I don't know, I, it, that can take minutes, hours. It can. Okay. And so you can fine tune the batch size. And on so bulk you can? on bulk, you can correct. I'm pretty sure you can. I think that's all Salesforce magic, you can, which by the way is some amazing magic. I don't know what they did. We talked about this the other day. I don't know what happens with bulk API, but they, it just goes on a separate dimension. It goes so fast. It's so fast in a lot of cases. It, yeah. I think it depends on what automation. I think there's just some things that Salesforce can kind of like kind of turn things off, like constraints or something for a second, and then load the data and then turn everything back on. I don't. I don't know what's happening, but it's crazy. Um, yeah, I but say, I don't know anything about a back yeah, I need, size. I, I will. I will double check that specifically. Okay. However, the the actual transaction context for each individual transaction can now have. 10, 60 seconds instead of 10 there. So yeah. all the automation it executes whenever those records actually load. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've just never... Inside of that job. I've never seen a limit. Like, I've never hit any kind of 10-second limit or 60-second. Yeah. No, because the yeah. limit we see before that is is query limits. And so I'm just talking about the bulk API, not like Apex or whatever. No, but that's what we're talking about. Because you when you load everything mm -hmm. and you queue it up, and yeah. Salesforce starts to process that and breaks it into transactions. Oh, During that transaction, yeah, okay. we have ten seconds of CPU time, which okay. is now being extended okay. to sixty okay. seconds. Yeah. I, I didn't even. I wasn't even thinking about it. right. So yeah, as so Salesforce after. is as Salesforce is actually creating right. your records from your bulk job. Yeah, the tr triggers have to fire. It's a transaction. Yeah, and. And, and yeah, and, and Salesforce is going to split those up into 200 at the most, right? Because mm -hmm. um, that's always been the rule with Salesforce transactions. Yeah. Okay. I get it. That makes total yeah. sense now. However, right. that's something that's buried in the release notes. Like you have to go down into developer release notes and then APIs and then changed and updated items to find something like that. So I guess my question about that, would, what does that have to do with a bulk API? So so now instead of a 10-second limit, if whatever you're doing is through bulk, you get a 60-second limit. Yes. Mm -hmm. what, was bulk more likely? To, okay, so uh, let me think about this. If you, if you have a CPU time problem with your triggers and your flows, mm -hmm. okay, so with, with bulk, we'll let you have more time, but you still have the problem of on everything else, you're still at 10 seconds. So if you have problems with your triggers and flows, you still have problems with your triggers and flows. It's just you might you might not see it through bulk. You're just going to see it through other things. I think bulk has its unique use cases, too. I mean, you have data migrations and you have mass integrations with larger systems, especially for some of the um, industry-specific ones. Say, like yeah. healthcare, what is it, Epic? I mean, that's mm -hmm. a huge data model. Insurance mm -hmm. companies have a huge amount of data, data sync to do. So I can see them really kind of, I, I see that's why it was made was for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Because we still have that, we still have those limitations if we were to do a batch job. We just have to play around with our batch sizes a bit more to, to stay under those limits. Yeah. But bulk is a different beast because obviously we're trying to tr transfer, move data, large amounts of data. Makes sense. But the, the query limit is still, is still an issue. 
Um, what's the and it's just by the, the nature of how of people how many queries? Yeah, it, okay. it's by the nature of how I think Process Builder trained people incorrectly, um, and also how Workflow Classic Workflow trained people incorrectly because Classic Workflow. I mean, it was very limited. I mean, you only can interact with certain records, but then you had Process Builder, and people kind of treated Process Builder like they treated Workflow. And so they really they didn't really care about how many queries they were doing or how many lookups they were doing or any kind of matching. Then you get to flow and you have all these new tools. And so you have people that are like querying inside of loops or just querying records, assuming they're only getting one record at a time, not bulkifying, all those kind of things that are that are kind of becoming more prevalent. And it's just growing pains of the tool, I think, for for people. Yeah. Also lack of education. Yeah. I think that a lot of the content and the I will say the admin relations team has grown vastly. When it comes to people who have expertise in actual like programming and not just building stuff on Salesforce, I mean, to the point that they can now start to teach the audiences the proper way to do things. And there is a lot of content coming around for people who are just learning how to build on Salesforce and using tools like Flow to do things correctly in that sense. Because there, unfortunately, there is a right way and a wrong way. Yeah, it's... <laughs> But sometimes it's not so black and white, though, you know, because there's, well, there's always, especially in like, you know, as, as your org starts getting more complex, like there's a lot of trade offs involved. Yeah. And it's it's a little tricky. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, the thing with Salesforce nowadays, there's just so much surface area. Like there's so many ways to get transactions in and so many automation tools. Um, Here's something. Did you know that in record triggered flows, you can now choose to run them sync or async? I did hear about the async. Yeah. That's pretty new, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Also, there's the whole, some kind of, there's some kind of like now testing facility built into flows. I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know anything about flows. So. I heard about that and I was going to research it, but I don't, I don't know anything about it. Apparently it exists, but it's not. Do you know anything about it? Uh, I know that you can write Apex to test your flows. There's a great blog that Aiden Harding in the Slack, Good Day oh, Slack yeah. channel wrote yeah. on testing flows. Okay. That would be worth going and checking out. Yeah. In fact, that might be something we show to our people too, because, you know, we do a lot of flows. The, you know, flows are one of those things like it's as an engineer, it's and who can write some bad code. It's not, it's not a go-to tool for me. Right. Um, but for people who are builders, engineers, whatever, who don't want to do code, I mean, it's very capable now. Um, but we still want to bring like, all the good principles of like good software engineering, you know, don't repeat yourself and, you know, and t- test tests and just all, you know, even, even, I don't know how much of this applies, but like solid principles. I don't know. Some of that is really code related, but you know, you want to like, I think dry is the big one too. And I know flows getting more of like reusability, like you can kind of compose flows so that, you know, you're, you're getting there. And as the, as this tool starts getting more advanced, um, first of all, it actually, it raises the bar for these admin developers. Um, but it also creates, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of that content, like the stuff Aiden's doing. And I, I, again, I just think it's something like maybe as, cause we do a lot of flows because again, it's a trade off. Like, like I said, I flow is not my go-to thing, but when we have a client that we're doing work for and they're like, you know, we'd like, we don't have any developers. So, Anything you can do to make it so that we're more likely to be able to maintain it ourselves, we would like. So, again, that's a, that's a trade-off. And, you know, you might be giving up something, which is, um, you know, with, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say, like, c- code's better or worse or whatever. But, like, 
you know, there's, there's things that might be better suited to code that you can do in Flow. And but if if you're getting the if you're getting these other benefits, like well, non-developers can maintain this, then maybe it's maybe that trade-off makes sense. It's worth it. Yeah. So here are three three places that I'm really taking advantage of flows at the moment that don't impact performance. Uh, number one, screen flows. I will never write a wizard UI again because I can just write components that I can throw into the flow. I can write Apex to then transact and do complex transactions instead of having to do them within the flow. And I can pass stuff back and forth to the server. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number two, platform event triggered flows are super easy and much faster to write some logic against receiving platform events back into core. Yeah. Then having to write an Apex trigger on the platform event, write a subsequent class. You can do a lot in the platform event triggered flow, and you don't have to worry about hitting limits because that's running, obviously, decoupled from the transaction because it's coming from a platform event. It's asynchronous, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm. Out of band. Yeah. yeah. And number three, uh, composer. Oh, sorry, not composer, orchestrator. So mm -hmm. flow orchestrator, you can take a load of auto-launched flows and screen flows, put them together into a giant like super flow, and you actually have record of the context of that transaction and where a person is in their state of running that super flow or the the orchestration as it's actually called. Mm -hmm. And so if that step may be assigned to a guest user, may be assigned to an experienced cloud user, you can actually reach in and grab the context of that and then pass it on through parameters into like an unauthenticated experienced cloud page. And so you can actually assign that step in the flow. Maybe it be a huge registration or onboarding process yeah. to a guest and actually have the context of who that person is and pass it in through that guest context. Yeah, and we have a lot of opportunity for that. When I heard about orchest yeah. Orchestrator, I think is what it's called, um, I was keen on it for that for that perspective. Um, one thing I'm missing, though, because... Hold on. I gotta Thank adjust. you. Thank you. Yeah. One thing I'm missing is... <laughs> <laughs> now that Jeremy gave me the, the evil eye, um, is is I incorporate some of those screen flows into, say, some our um, community sites that we build for clients for schools and education. Um, Aura gave us a way to embed those those screen components into our component, but uh, Lightning doesn't have that that equivalent. So I kind of have to stay on Aura. I can't move everything over to LWR yet. So I'm hoping that that's on the roadmap, but forward-looking statement so please make any purchasing decisions based on <laughs> your currently available products and not anything that i might talk about today i know there's a huge program of work going on to bring parity yeah that'd be nice we, oh, like lwc versus mm -hmm. aura okay yeah. Yeah. yeah because in order for salesforce to grow and change as a platform we have to make that that jump sure yeah I mean, and on that point, it's worth noting um, something that's been brought up on previous episodes of the podcast around LWR and Experience Cloud. It's worth noting that LWR, or Lightning Web Runtime, as a whole is much more than just Experience Cloud. It's right. an entire runtime that was used to rebuild Experience Cloud. And so that you can have a super performant experience while still having a builder and drag and drop capabilities and allow you to bring in all of your own code, but power it even more so using the same tools that we were using, but through that web runtime framework itself that also powers like the developer website that we've used to build it. Um, Salesforce Plus, all of the new Salesforce websites are all being built using that same runtime that we've used to build Experience Cloud, which could be that future of Salesforce as well, if we can get it right, if we can get parity from all of the components that already exist in the ecosystem into be compatible with 
mm-hmm. whatever the future state of that looks like. That's interesting. I just, <clears throat> there's so many challenges. I mean, I, I know um, there's so much involved in that. I mean, Salesforce, again, such so much surface area. It's so big, such a big platform. Um, that just doing something like that, that's got to be, I can't imagine the number of people are involved. That's just a monu- monumental, momentous yeah, yeah. effort. Gigantic. I will say, so one of the leading product managers in that space um, gave a talk on how Salesforce is working with web standards very closely at TDX. And he had said something about Salesforce and he called it, let me just find this. And Salesforce is an extensible web platform. Okay. So it's a web platform that you then will write code to extend. And I think it's a great characterization of what it has become, whether that be Experience Cloud or Core Salesforce. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we, we certainly have many more hooks than we used to, at least official hooks than we used to, to, tr- to try to inject or extend the system itself. There are still some protected areas. We've come a long way since embedding JavaScript into section headers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I remember when they turned that off. It was like a total panic moment. Oh, yeah. Because there really wasn't an alternative for years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And it it was was like everyone knew they shouldn't be doing it, but everyone was doing it. That's Uh, back when no one cared about script injection. It just wasn't a thing. (laughs) I think think we cared. It's just we, we wanted to get these things done. No, I mean platforms didn't do anything to to block embedded scripts or pe- from people from embedding script. Yeah, I see what you're saying. As as a way to improve security. Yeah, yeah. it just. Yeah. I mean, there were people weren't exploiting it back then, so it wasn't a thing. You know, but then all of a sudden it became a thing, and it's like, oh crap, what do we do now? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 testament to the idea that you can never underestimate your users ever. I mean, we, we do all kinds of creative stuff. Um, actually, someone just posted in our Slack about a, a guy who used uh, the Salesforce Connect to kind of create an API that then allows a reportable roll-up summary, which, I mean, that's going to have its own limits because of the way the Connect works. It's paging and 200 pages and all that. It's not going to be like a huge scalable thing, but it's an interesting exercise of how you can kind of take some of these tools. And even I myself have kind of reached into APIs and and consumed them um, in order to to do something that you just normally can't do with with an Apex library. Yeah. And so back to Dreamforce for a second. <clears throat> I have a buddy who's turning 50 in September. And there's a group of like 20 of us that are going to Napa. That's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So we're going to Napa. And I'm irritated because I just found out that Dreamforce is this is the same week. And oh. I thought, because the note I got the other day, it was, it was actually two days ago, was, hey, we just got we just got word of the Dreamforce dates. Here they are. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's right in the middle of our Napa trip. But it turns out they announced these dates two months ago. Not, no one told me. <laughs> so what? So we're modifying our trip. Actually, we'll get to go. It's We were flying in Friday, and then we were going to come home like Wednesday. So we'll just, we'll, we'll still fly in Friday. And we'll get to do Saturday, Sunday. And I think I'm hoping like we can then on like maybe Monday afternoon drive back to San Francisco and then we'll just change our return flight. Yep. 
I mean, I, I can't wait for Dreamforce, but that's kind of my job to say that. Yeah. We've already started planning. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. And if, for anyone who got to attend TDX, I mean, the content was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, something that came, I, I actually think the inspiration came from the Good Days Slack channel because someone had asked a question about complex invocation of functions and concurrency. And so I took that question, sent it to Andy Fawcett mm. to see if there was a solution that we could respond back with. At the time, there wasn't. However, him and Julian on my team went together and put like this really cool advanced patterns for Salesforce functions talk together, mm. which they have recorded. I know the plan is to share it. And so they're going to go and record their session and distribute it more widely. But we were able to see content like that, that you would, we've kind of been lacking for the last couple of years. And so there will be a lot more of that at Dreamforce. That's right. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I mean, Dreamforce isn't, I definitely, I'm more of a, you know, I'm a more of a trailblazer type than a Dreamforce type, but it's, it's important to our business. So, you know, I'll, I'll go and then we'll, we'll have some other people that go. You want to go, John? I know you don't want to go. <laughs> Maybe next year. I do want to make it to TDX next year. I definitely want to make it to TDX. Yeah. I, did, I just, I just see so much value. I mean, in being in person, it's just the, the sessions, there's only so much you can cover an hour. It's really the networking and getting to meet people and talk to them and talk to the product owners and all that kind of stuff that makes it valuable. Those kind of side conversations you have either yeah. after or before the talks. Right, right, right. No, that's good too. Um, it's it's funny though. I don't know if we were recording, but when we were talking about how it um, was it at, was it at Trailhead or Trailblazer this year that as far as like um, what well, I don't even think I'm health requ COVID requirements, whatever. Like they were really, you know, it was. Relaxed a bit. It was relaxed, mm -hmm. right? Um, I don't think they were like checking vaccines and, and all I can say is that they were following local yes, state right, right. <laughs> regulations. So what's interesting is so I'm going to this Puerto Rico event in next week, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it has much more and it's a Salesforce event, much more stringent requirements. At least it seems like it does. Well, maybe not, actually. They recommend vaccines. But we do have to test when we get there. That's interesting because usually and it's you PCR too. Test before, right? And I had COVID two weeks ago, and I wonder if I'm going to because you know with PCR is famous for like you can be positive for like three months after you have COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so watch me get there and test positive still, and I won't be able to. <laughs> so you can, you can get a letter to say that you've had COVID or if you have a previous test showing that you were positive in the last 90 days. Well, I don't, At least for travel, that's accepted. I didn't save my test, but I did um, I, I did see my doctor. So I could get him to write a thing. Just, mm -hmm. yeah. It's always good to have it. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. How, and, and that maybe, maybe Puerto Rico has different, good, like you said, you know, they're kind of following by local rules, right? What are, what are the local rules? And well, there might maybe, be different rules for, I mean, I know it's not international, but international travel so to speak yeah i mean and also could be have something to do with like the the, the hotel that it's it's going to be at maybe they you know have their own rules but it is just interesting from event to event how it seems to be a little different but yeah you know I, I miss san francisco i mean there's there's parts of san francisco i miss it is you know san francisco san francisco has an amazing history and has so much so much culture and uh, interesting things have come out of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been sad, you know, to see some of the challenges it's been dealing with, but 
you know, I hear uh, I hear things are looking up and some things have been improved. So, and I, so I do miss San Francisco. So I'm I'm actually looking forward. I will look forward to to visiting San Francisco. It is worth noting McKellar is back open. I know. I heard that. Yeah. Heard so that's that. and that's so convenient. That's the. I mean, I like I like them anyway. I mean, they make good beers and um. And they have good, pretty good food there, but it's just, it's so convenient when you're at Dreamforce. They were having a sour tasting event yeah. the week of TDX, which was very nice. Yeah, it was their anniversary. It's convenient. <laughs> uh, speaking of sours, let's, uh, I didn't tell you guys what we're drinking here, but this is from Casey Blending and Brewing. I think that's what they're called. And uh, they're in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which oddly is just to the west of Frisco, Colorado. This is called The Cut. And it's with, with plums. So it's a six percent. Uh, it's, it's a sour, right? It's an ale aged in bur- aged in bourbon barrels with plums. And it has the variety of plums is Santa Rosa. They're Santa Rosa plums. What do y'all think of it? It's tasty. Yeah, it is. Casey's, Casey's great. I have a buddy who. It's the guy, the guy that's turning 50, but he's a member. He's like not only is he a member of Casey, but I think he is probably their top customer. Um, he drives up there at least four times a year and fills his SUV with boxes and boxes. And he can't, uh, I, I always like, I don't know, every couple months I'll buy a case of these off of him. Um, and he said, you know, he sells a lot of them, but I think he just likes to be that top customer. So he's, you know, so he, he'll sell these off at, at cost to his friends and, and other, you know, these beer nerds and stuff. Is it safe to say you bought a case from Casey? <laughs> that, is, that would be safe to say yes. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. There's something else I wanted to tell you guys. I forget what it was about the trip or Dreamforce or what? I don't know. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to Puerto Rico. I've never been to Puerto Rico. It's um, yeah, it's at like this nice resort that's like I don't know, thirty minutes east of San Juan, hmm. right on the beach. I've been to Puerto Rico on a cruise, so okay. for like six hours. Yeah. And they kind of just shuttle you off to a resort when you're there anyways. Okay. Yeah. It's the way it is on, in some of these countries. You just, you need to stay on the resort and not go anywhere. Uh, yeah. Puerto Rico's. <laughs> I mean. My honeymoon was in Mexico and I can say that. We, we, yeah. we ventured off and we probably shouldn't have. Oh, yeah. In fact, when I think about it, we, we, we met these guys that were uh, doing, taking us snorkeling. And so they, 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 we got on their boat and they were not familiar with the resort. So this was kind of like a don't say anything type thing. So my wife and I get on a boat and we get around this mountain and into this kind of cove and we're scuba diving. And it dawned on me, I was like, man, these guys could have just taken off and left me here or something bad. <laughs> it was just, it was just one of those things, but yeah, you just got to be careful. Some places they see, they see the tourists. They can see you a mile away. Yeah. That's why you don't want to look like a tourist too much, but I'm the type, like when I go somewhere, like I would love to do, I want to do like, a, I want to do Guadalajara. And just all the gritty bits of it, too. I don't know. It's probably dangerous, but yeah. that's how you really... And Guadalajara, it's considered like the cultural capital of Mexico. I mean, just the art, the food is incredibly unique. Um, yeah. It's tough because you do want to go and experience these cultures. But I mean, I, I, even even as recent, it was about four years ago, a colleague of mine went to think jamaica or i don't if this is a sad story i don't want to hear it it's a sad story yeah. he didn't come back from his vacation yeah and what is this event then in puerto rico <laughs> um what is that called let me see if it's on my calendar it is it's um it's a dot org event um yeah it's 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 dot org partners 
um, Partner Summit. That's all it's listed on the calendar. I don't, I don't know the name of it. Yeah, sorry. There's also a, a dot org thing going on like this week. Elevate is that? I don't know. I'm making stuff up now. Isn't that your company? Elevation, okay. which is Close interesting. Enough. Yeah. But um, yeah, it should be it should be cool. So I guess it's um, I think I think there's a lot, it's supposed to be a lot of networking at this thing like partners ne- network with each other maybe. Because, you know, they were in the same space, and I'm not... We'll see. I'll report back. It's a nice trip, if anything. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned that there were some some things in the release notes. I hadn't had a chance to actually read into it. We've already got them in sandboxes now, right? Uh, GS0 is live. I don't think we're in sandboxes yet. Okay. What is GS0? Uh, Pre-release orgs. Okay. So if you've signed up for a pre-release org in the past, or you can go and sign up for one now, the release will already be in your pre-release orders. Okay. Okay. And what if you refresh your sandbox? Um, does that does that not it that gets you pre-release, doesn't it? If no. it's at, if it's in a certain window, no, you get back to the current version because okay. you're refreshing off production. Okay. So you would have had to have refreshed by a set date. There's usually yeah. a locked-in yeah, date yeah. that puts you onto a different pod, and if you're on the pod that gets pre-released into it will always stay on the, that part, that sandbox. So if you have a pre-release sandbox, it should always stick to that. Okay. And can, uh, with uh, Scratch Orgs, do you get to specify the release you want? You do once it's already been released out out of pre-release into sandboxes. Okay. You can then specify whether you want your Scratch Org to be in preview. Yeah, okay. I've been doing more of Scratch Orgs. I mean, obviously, nothing massive, but I've been using them for... Um, well, some some client work, but also um, so you know, I I kind of like I, I seem like I'm like the main maintainer of the uh, Salesforce component of Apache Camel integration platform, and I've moved a, so there's it's got a vast like integration test suite, and I've been moving it a lot of it, so it's it was all you know metadata based, mm-hmm. and so I'm just changing it so that. Because uh, it's all automated, like we have like just massive automated uh, in a, like test test suites that run, and there was there were before there was there was more manual stuff involved with like setting up a developer org and all that kind of stuff, and I've I've been moving that to DX, I guess the CLI, right, mm-hmm. um, and Scratch orgs, so that it's more automatable. I still I still have the problem with um, I know there's there are workarounds for this, but these scratch orgs come with duplicate rules and that still, it kind of still bites me. They come with duplicate rules out of the box. I know. And that's, that surprises everyone. I tell that to, they're like, Oh really? I didn't realize that. That's always surprising. Activated duplicate, duplicate rules. So there's a, there is, um, someone, someone DM me some, some code that actually looked pretty useful to that basically loops through any duplicate rules and then does a deployment to deactivate them. Mm. So that's one way to handle it. I mean, that's fine. Um, and then the other one is, um, I can't figure out if there's a setting I'm looking for a setting Cause you know, with, with, when you create, you create a scratch org, you can supply like the settings for it. Um, I need email deliverability set to system only. And I, I can't find that <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing. Um, here's the deal. <laughs> one of the, you know, one of the things that, um, that camel supports with Salesforce is, um, all kinds of, um, approval stuff you can do you can auto you can 
integrate with your approvals and kick off approvals and everything. And of course, that involves emails. Like when you create approvals or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, people get emailed stuff. And so <laughs> if I forget to manually deactivate my, my um, d- email deliverability, then I'll, d- I'll be running the test and I'll, all of a sudden I'll get a notification. Like it, it is, my watch starts going ding, 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 because I'm getting like hundreds of emails. <laughs> like, ah, I forgot to deactivate deliverability. Yeah, I've got a script I can give you for that as well. Okay. I don't know if there's Is that a available in metadata? Do you know? Is the script, is it is it like a kind of a, a UI script type of thing? It is, yeah. It okay. Is. Yeah, I should probably look into that. Yeah. Yeah, these are going to be the, the, the types of challenges for, for DevOps and stuff, I think. Well, I mean, obviously, it's gotten a lot better. I mean, the amount of settings you can supply in Scratch.org is it's pretty good. And isn't it... It seems like it's completely based on meta on what's available because there's in metadata there's the whole settings different settings objects you know mm-hmm. and so I think it's just a matter of the metadata I don't and I don't know like what team that would be because it's like email team the email team I don't know um, but they just need to enable that at the metadata level and then I think we can we can automate that with Scratchworks I guess but that's that's the only two things really other than that I mean. Yeah, I've really been able to automate a ton of ton of stuff thanks to the CLI. Yeah, working in, in what we do. I mean, I'm not touching production orgs anymore, and I haven't for a few years now. So you do kind of lose sight a little bit on how people are using Salesforce. And so I'm trying to sort of get back into that. And everything that we're doing is from source now. Everything is from scratch orgs. However, I'm not touching sales cloud, I'm not touching service cloud. I'm only touching platform. Now that you're a... And, you know, and, and what, what is, what's your... Uh, Evangelist? No, what do they call it? Advocate. Advocate. Now that you're an advocate, you're like a, you're elevated. You don't, you need to, you need to keep in touch with us common folk, Stefan. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> in fact, that's why you're here. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I was surprised to hear that DevOps wasn't going to let you create orgs. I was, I was so, because I thought they demoed that it was originally going to do that. And maybe it's just got pushed away. But you, uh, Is this the DevOps Center you're talking yeah. about? DevOps Center? I yeah. am so excited about that, y'all. I really am. I, am I, know a, it's, I know it's been a long time coming. And we've been I'm excited, but it's going to take a few years before it's, it's, before we all learn how to use that tool. You know what? And I won't name any names, but this is, again, um, more conversation that happened in the Good Day Sir Slack. Um. People have apparently got their admins using Git, tracking their changes, participating in pull requests and merges, which, I mean, not that that's, I mean, I know it's possible. I mean, you know, Git just has a huge learning curve and you can really get, I mean, I think even, you know, like developers when they if they're i guess when when you're first learning i mean i remember like the learning curve i went through you know it's probably 10 years ago now but i mean there was stuff about git i'm just like it was hard to get through my head and maybe that's just because i'm not that smart but um i think it's definitely got a learning curve git is not like what was the what was the there was another alternative to get oh um mercurial that Mm -hmm. was i like that so much better i picked mercurial this is back this was like the VHS Betamax of version control because Git and Mercurial kind of came around at the same time. Mercurial had a much better, what do you consider like the UI of a of a CLI tool? It was just so much better. Git is like you have to know the internals of Git. You have to know how objects work and how, how it stores things, and it is low level. 
which super powerful, right? But I mean, the the learning curve is just it's not it's even to this day I feel like I'm man I'm just like working at a really low level with Git, and so that's that's that is a tough thing to overcome with mm-hmm. training if you're training admins on using git now maybe it's like you train them for the 80 percent, and then for the 20 percent, you know you you call a dev and you're like oh i'm stuck in merge hell or whatever you know that that can be difficult um i mean i get stuck in merge hell so there's a great website and one of my number one bookmarks that i will not say aloud but either one of you are more than happy to oh, yeah. to bring yeah. it up great website great tool yeah oh shit get yeah <laughs> It is good. No, it's got like, all, how do you get yourself out of these messes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, but I'm, I was kind of inspired by these people who have got their admins doing scratch orgs, pulling down their changes, committing them, um, doing pull requests. Yeah. Like, but it's, it's a, it, it, it takes dedication. And it takes sponsorship. I mean, I know we've, we floated the idea internally as well. It just, it was tough to get people to break away from, from the habits. Well, it's, it's still hard to get them to break away from, from building everything in either production or UAT when they have, and this is Greenfield we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, it's really easy to do Greenfield on in production. But but for the tooling that we're doing and the source and source first type methodology that we're doing, we really kind of need it in these other environments so we can move it through the flow properly. Yeah. I think there's a connection that happens when you're used to like zipping around setup, mm-hmm. understanding where things are. If once you start to get sort of clued into that and it starts moving really quickly and you say okay i know exactly where i need to go it's only a single step further to understand how that relates to the metadata structure and actually what you're impacting when you're changing those settings and once you can sort of make that bridge from okay this is something in the ui that i'm touching these are the related metadata items the next step is only just pulling them down and making the changes Mm -hmm. or pushing the changes after you've already made them in your environment because with the org browser in VS Code, it makes it super easy to say, okay, here's the metadata object. Can I have it? And it yeah. just pulls it into your mm-hmm. source. And also, if you're, if you're doing, because you can do tracking now with not just scratch works, but sandboxes. Um, and if you're, if you can, just tra- if you can track changes, then yes. I mean, in fact, I would encourage people to experiment, like go, go do your setup changes you need to do. And then go fetch your, what is it called? You, when you pull your changes down or whatever. And, and, and look at what changed, you know, just like, you know, use, because I imagine people have probably use like uh, some kind of Git visualization tool, you know, um, Git tower or whatever they are in the windows, in the windows world. Um, and like, yeah, look at, look at what's, was there a new settings file that showed up or did you, did you could see something that changed, you know, because yeah, it's like you start to get a connection between what I'm doing in the UI and then how that's represented uh, in the file system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, I think people that are, ha- that have had success with this are people who, you get, these are teams of people who are working in the same org for years. Whereas we are in consulting, in the consulting kind of world, you start a project and you do a project and people are coming and going off that project and then you're done with the project and then you move on, you're on to something else. Um, you know, getting, uh, just doing, getting everyone up to speed on, on that project, it, it takes a while. It's been, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. going to take a while. And, it, and the question is, is it worth it? I mean, is, is that going to work or not? Maybe it would. I don't know. Well, we, we've gotten really good at it. And it's just with humans. We, we've, got, we've gotten really good out of, of making inefi- efficiencies out of inefficiencies. I mean, we, we, can, we can somehow muddle through it all and get it done to the point where we think that's the fastest way to do it. Our 
everything we've done to kind of make up for all the gaps or all the issues or everything else, we've got so much muscle memory in it that to us, that's the fastest way. So to stop and to move on to DevOps and go and have multiple environments and flows and track things and create work items and move them through the pipeline and all that kind of stuff, that, that seems like a, that seems like it's regressive to them from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, that's, I think it's understanding the value of it. Yeah. And that was one of the questions during the, the DevOps session that I, that I got to witness is that there was some concern about, you know, what are the best practices? How, how do we use this? How do we teach people how to use these tools? Was this the DevOps center thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think once you <laughs> put DevOps center aside, just if you're doing it on your own, like some of these people are, mm-hmm. um, if you've got, you know, whether it's GitHub Actions or something else set up to that, that's taking someone's merge or pull request or whatever, and then, you know, always deploying that to some kind of just like smoke test org or whatever, and then, and then when you're ready to go to to UIT or QA, whatever you want to call it, someone just merges that, you know, whatever the the dev branch in the UAT, and then to see that five minutes later deployed to your UAT org, like that's when you start to see, even as an admin, like you really start to see that value, especially if you're an admin who you've been working with other admins and developers who all have their own orgs and you've, you've experienced all that pain of like trying to, you know, do we all work in the same org and then we're stepping on each other's toes constantly? Or then if you split up orgs and it's, it's difficult to then how do you, you just, because I see people do this, like they'll manually recreate the changes in some other kind of shared org or UAT org, which obviously that's fraught with issues. Mm-hmm. So if they, if they've experienced that pain, then if you show them a solution where, yeah, you have to do this get stuff, but you know, it's when you are, when you merge your changes in, it's automatically shows up with everyone else's changes in this magical other org. And then you can, you know, you can have this process by where like people's changes funnel in, you're not stepping on each other's toes. Again, there's this, there's a, you know, a, uh, a life cycle here of like, you know, dev environments into like some kind of bleeding edge org, then maybe into some like, QA org and then everyone can QA it and then it, then you just merge that into your master branch and then it's in production like they see that and they're like oh my gosh yes that is so much better than the pain that we've been going through and I think it's all about seeing that value yeah so one thing that we can't lose sight of is the fact that there are sort of three different tiers of people who are building on Salesforce the first tier is someone whose company uses Salesforce and you are making changes to the platform you don't have a consultant you don't have a partner or maybe you're an internal developer, you work for a company, and you are doing stuff in Salesforce, maybe with a small team. Okay, You then have partners who are going and building and setting up in multiple Salesforce environments. They have the experience of working in larger teams, or maybe a center of excellence in a company who may be like a larger company who has multiple Salesforce orgs, or has a core Salesforce team that does this kind of stuff, who will have experience working with conflicts and working in a proper project structure. And then you have developers who and builders who are working for ISVs, mm, yeah. who are writing code that has to fit into any one Salesforce org and not break it. And so you've got those three distinct tiers of people who have vastly different experiences working and building and deploying on Salesforce. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, over, there's overlap, obviously, but mm. yeah. And some yeah. of the ISV challenges, those are those are interesting. I'm a good developer because I was an ISV. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, being an ISV, every makes every, you everything's oh, easier after better. that. No, it's not easier. <laughs> no, I mean not as an ISV. Just like when <laughs> compared to an ISV, everything else is yeah. probably easier. I, I guess it changes the way you think a lot, especially when it comes to 
how you're managing your security and your permissions in your code at, at that level and what you're exposing when it comes to components and things like that. Um, it, it has changed me quite a bit in terms of how I approach those. Every single piece of code I write is generic. Like I write everything as generic as possible. Yeah. yeah. Just in case I might be able to reuse it somewhere. Right. At a single mm-hmm. point in time. Well, and when, what's the, what's the rule of thumb on to make something truly like a component in a way that, or that's reusable. It takes, I know I've always heard like three times the effort. I really think it may be closer to the order of like, no, it's 10 it's times. Huge. Yeah. I think it's about 10 times harder. It's closer to 10 than three. And that's the world I live in. I mean, and, and there are times where I've done the work and I go, was it really worth it for me to do this? And then some change comes and I just have to change it in this one spot. And I'm like, I did the right thing. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. you, you know, you have the proper abstractions or yeah. whatever. Yep. I'm, I'm terrible. I will cast everything. And so if I'm ever passing some data structure from a lightning web component into apex, I will pass a JSON formatted S object or an array of S objects into apex cast the S object type that I've passed in through a parameter mm-hmm. and then deserialize it and then just run it through the security access check mm-hmm. and then do the insert, the update, whatever I want to do to the data. I've, and I've so I use that using, pattern constantly. I've started using data structures. I don't pass the JSON, uh, S objects no. anymore. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a bug. You, when you say there's data structure, you just mean like JSON or something? You can, uh, just you can pass object. an S object as a data type to your, to your lightning component. Like an account, like a strongly like type thing. Okay, right. right. But I choose not to because it's caused so many issues. And really, I think there's a bug in LWR in the the security check because um, I ran into an issue where it wouldn't. I was passing S objects oh, for some reason. Hopefully, the Salesforce security team listens to this podcast. And yeah. uh, so there you go, right from John. <laughs> <laughs> you got a P zero. <laughs> it uh, it wasn't it wasn't recognizing when it tries to deserialize that. Or serialize it either ser- either during serialization or deserialization of the S object, it wasn't recognizing it as the guest user having permission to the object. Are you talking about a wire adapter and um, a module that you're importing, like a get records, or are you talking about Apex? Apex. I think I had it both ways. I think I had it both with the wire and calling imper- imperative Apex. In both cases, it did not recognize it. Um. And the only reason I figured that out is because I had other areas where I was using data structures. I just happened to do it for this one because it was I had to shoehorn something in really quick. So I was like, all right, I'll just pass the S object. Yeah, so if it's a query, then as long as you have with sharing declared. Oh, no, it wasn't even getting to that point. Oh, OK. The, the platform itself was gacking on it. And I had to get the gack. Uh, I had to get someone to find the gack. And that's when they told me it was a security issue. And I was like, well, we did everything we could to enable that thing. And as soon as I switched it to a data structure, because it was, it would take that data structure and then deserialize it into the actual object. And once it was in Apex and I was deserializing from there, it was fine. It recognized it that they had access to it. It was just during that transition between LWC and it called that API to, to turn it into that data type. Um, it just it threw that, that error. But anyways, I, even, even before that, I learned that it was there's just some, some oddities with, with passing back. S objects to and from Salesforce or to Apex. Sorry, I mean it seems like you know having the. I guess it would is almost like type safety and in, in passing specific objects has a lot of benefits. But maybe maybe it doesn't, it doesn't really know. exist in JavaScript. Though. Uh, yeah, that's true. I yeah. mean, I see has done more recently of their latest releases to try to infer a lot of that stuff. But it's still it's it's still just a tenuous. Man, I gotta say, thing. and I know I'm such a fanboy. But I, although I will say I went like a year without using IC because I just haven't been doing that work, but I've been 
I I've jumped in more recently, been doing more IC stuff. And also I've realized that like I, there's other areas where I can use IC. Like for example, when I'm working on integrations, I'll go ahead and create a, an additional module. Like I might, I mean, I mean like the project I'm working on may be just all integration code, mm-hmm. but I'll go ahead and create another module that's simply to connect to the org. Um, so I can bring down like the S objects and all the definitions because then I'll open, I'll use the query console, which has, you know, does all of IntelliJ's auto completion, all that kind of stuff. Cause I'm always trying to query. I mean, whether it's cause I, I actually I've been doing a lot of like aggregation queries, just to, like to, to analyze data. Mm-hmm. Cause I need to understand the data. So I know how to integrate it best and everything. Um, and I see it's just great. And I know the VS con VS code. Actually, I've been using code VS code more. That's what we're calling it. What's that? And, uh, have we rebranded it to Code Builder entirely, or is Code Builder specifically the online thing? No. So mm-hmm. Code Builder is just the web-based okay. implementation of VS Code. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. comes pre-installed with all of your Salesforce extensions. Okay. Wait. Code Builder is that is that available? Code Builder is going to be in beta in a couple of months time okay. this summer. Okay. And it's very cool. Well, I think I mean. Obviously, you know, nerds will have VS Code installed, but like if you're just popping in, I think I assume it's like will it be launchable from the org almost? Mm-hmm. Oh, see that yeah. that just instead of because sometimes I'll still console, I know you're not yeah. supposed to use Dev Console anymore, and I really trust me, I, I don't like Dev Console. Um, I don't want to have to, which is also uh, really why I I'll just even if I'm not writing Salesforce code, I'll still add a Salesforce module to my IntelliJ project so I can use IC for like um, again like. Looking at looking at the metadata, like like ob- object level, like mm-hmm. structure and running queries and stuff like that. Anyway, I just want to put a plug in for IC because it is if you if you use IntelliJ already for whatever reason, or if you're a Java developer or whatever, and you're used to it, like um, IC is really it. Really, I mean, Scott just he stays he's always ahead. He's just ahead. I mean, before anything's features are even released, like IC supports it. Yep, um, it's really great. He does a great job. And his support is, and again, and I have no, we have no financial relationship um, whatsoever, but his support is just outstanding. It's really, he does a great job. I hope he's doing well. I hope his business is doing well, you know, because he deserves it. And he's always on the cutting edge. So he's always in on the pilots. He's always in on all of the new features to make sure that they're supported from the get-go. Yeah. He's just, man, he's such a, such an asset to the community in so many ways. Anyway. Um. But yeah, just the ability to um, to pop open this code builder thing, that's going to be great. Uh, I think admins will be able to use that yeah. as well. Yeah, so on the, the keynote for TDX this year, I, I built all of the stuff that we demoed, and I used code builder for like 90% of that work. Even on a lot of the new Slack stuff. Yeah. Like I was able to use code builder. The metadata was already there for me, and I can start working with it. Does it... I mean, is it, is it just reading directly from your org or does it read from a, can you set up like a Git repository or something? Yeah. Or? So when you launch code builder in its current state, throwing back to that forward looking statement, mm-hmm. um, you can either start from an existing org or import a Git project okay. or import from GitHub at the moment. Currently. Okay. GitHub. Yep. So, but it's still just launched in the web browser from your org, right? It is. Yep. And so you can say connect to this GitHub repo. Okay. Well, before it opens, you can, you first will then auth into the org that you would like to pull from. Okay. And so it will set up that default dev hub org against the web version or it's, I mean, it's a VM really your VM of VS code. Mm -hmm. And then you can auth multiple other environments against it. 
So just like if you're using VS Code on your machine, you can link it to multiple different orgs. You can pull your source from wherever. You have full access to the CLI. <coughs> and you just pop it open. It's great. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, and I, I just think also this, um, the DevOps Center. And I didn't, I really, I don't, I realized I just didn't, I didn't finish my thought process on that. So yeah, you've got people who, with these super admins that are doing Git and everything, that's amazing, you know hand clap for you that's a great um but i think the devops center is 10 steps forward at least from what i've seen and and bringing admins in who i don't it seems like like you won't have to be necessarily like a git expert i mean you probably have to understand some of the concepts but the fact that it seems to and again i'm going based on like what i heard about it a year ago but like it kind of automates you know, you can almost like create a sandbox and it's like, it maybe like creates a branch for you and you like make the changes on it and it pushes your changes to a branch or something. And it's supposed to be a layer on top of all that to kind of make it yeah. easier. To I don't consume. know. Am I completely but wrong? There, there are features no, of it. No. That, yeah. There are features that it's not going to support day one, like, like the org creation stuff. So you'll have to have the existing, you'll have to have the, the sandboxes existing already. You can plug it to an, to a, a DX org. Okay. Um, but it's not something the tool will do for you automatically right now. So it's not like you can be able to go in and say DevOps Center, I'm going to create an org for Jane and for John, and they're both going to work separately, and they're going to merge it in. But it does give them the ability to kind of see the changes, create a work out of out of them. You'll be able to define your pipeline and 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 push everything through that. Yeah, that's that's my current understanding of where it sits at the moment. Okay. Yeah. So and that's the kind of why I was prefacing it earlier when I said it's going to take us a couple of years to work this out, which is probably a good thing. I think this is a baby step thing because this isn't. And this is always kind of my problem with DevOps. Is people t- treated DevOps like it was like this thing that, that was going to solve all their, their development problems. But it, 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 there's some cultural changes. There's some process changes. Some some inter- some a lot of changes that has to happen in terms of your process that's going to make it work. Yeah, I mean it's it's a tool, right? I mean, yeah. but um, I think this. I mean, in Salesforce, just as a business, I mean they already have I think such a wide moat. It's very sticky. You know, Salesforce is very sticky, which is great. Especially if you're an investor, like I'm, I'm a very small investor in Salesforce. We, we haven't checked in on my stock recently, but I, I, I think, think we should not do that because <laughs> it's you do that right the now. whole stock market is just. I don't even honestly, I don't even look anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just let me know when when things the stock market's again. back up, and I'll yeah. start looking again. I just don't need that negativity in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, this stuff like this, like, and I know this is just so incredibly difficult because Salesforce is massive. Huge platform, big surface area, hundreds of thousands of customers or whatever. And so you've got to be able to innovate all this in place, in place, right? Um, In a way. Um, But this just makes it stickier. If they can, I mean, if they can, this DevOps center type of thing where it really solves some of these, some of these longstanding problems with, you know, how do you build, how do you, how do you build while bringing in like these good software engineering principles and how do you bring your admins along and all that kind of stuff. And if they're, I mean, man, that's just, that's exciting. Not from just like someone who works in it every day, but just from a business perspective. I mean, Salesforce is just going to leave everyone so far in the dust. I mean, who's even, who is even close to that? I mean, I don't know. I'm not steeped in the Oracle or the, or the Microsoft world really, or the Adobe world. So I don't really know, but I just, I, I just think that's, this is going to be, huge for their business 
So I'm talking to John, I guess, because Stefan can't comment on that. <laughs> what I'm going to say is, and I normally would never shout out another podcast on a podcast. Oh, we're However, very podcast friendly here. The Salesforce Admins podcast. Admins. The last episode. That. We don't. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, cut. Well, can you cut that post, John? Yeah. Okay. Marker. <laughs> so, uh, Kush Singh has taken over a large part of platform. Okay. And he is now running what's called the experiences team. And that includes Lex, a lot of the data services and experience cloud all together in one engineering org. And he okay. goes into extreme detail on the reorganization of that part of the engineering team. And it's worth going and listening to. This is a particular episode. This is the last episode. Okay. It was last week, okay. May 19th. Hmm. Um, and it's called experience cloud with Kush Singh. Oh, but it's not just about experience cloud. It's about everything. Yeah. I'll yeah. definitely have to put that one on. Yeah, it's yeah. worth a listen. Yeah, I'm, I'm still happy to see developers get attention. It was, it was, I mean, I've, I've built so much of a career on it, it's hard for me to to change. <laughs> yeah, well, there's not a lot <laughs> you I can't can get say. out. I can't get John's out. John's been trying to get out of this <laughs> out of this business. He can't get out of it. I know. <laughs> You're stuck, John. I mean, how many beers have or tears in my beers have, have you come oh to me as I complain about? You're stuck. You're stuck in this stuck. business. <laughs> so I, I had a quick chat with my boss Peter Chittam, who many of you may have be familiar with. Oh, yeah. uh, I love Peter, and said that What's I was going to be be in town and doing this today. And he said, "You've been very close to the cutting edge of things lately. If it was me, keep that on your mind." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get what's saying. Yeah. That's fun. Oh, I haven't. I've talked to Peter in a while. He's been on the. Has he been on the show before? He has, right? Must have. I think so. He, I think remotely, Maybe not so. with me. I think with you. Okay. But two out of the three here are under NDA, anyway. So that's true. I'm not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm under some kind of NDA with Salesforce. Just being a partner. A partner. Yeah. I probably should look into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst partner ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah. You still on the MVP, John? They haven't kicked you out yet. I don't. I'm I'm in the Hall of Fame, and I don't know what that means. I think that just means you're five years. You keep thinking. You keep saying that you're not. A, you you are still an active MVP. I don't think so. I think there's like like there's like less benefits or something. Did you do your your uh, annual re, what's it called? Your annual review or you the review? You did the voting and all that. Okay, kind of stuff. well yeah. you're you're in, man. <laughs> I don't know. Take, you, the, take hey, the certifications. You got to You got to check that. Oh, I don't do any of that. You got it. <laughs> <I> no. <laughs> I've been kicked. I probably got kicked out for not having any badges. And you know, in fact, it's my. It's not like I don't do Trailhead. I just do it anonymously. I like. I don't link it to my account. I'm just like I want to read it. I do that skip that? thing that says log in. I'm like, no, nope, I'll skip that. But why? Let me, what's let me, the point of that? I just want the information. I don't need the badge or the accolades. I just want the information. But as a partner, if you would do that, that helps because we have to have like badges as a partner. That's, that's something that we get. You I'm know, anti-establishment, man. What about, I don't want them tracking me. John, <laughs> what about your Ranger ranks? <laughs> oh, that's true. I got to get the ranks now. now. Now we've got the, those are super badges and now we got the ranks and there's one above that, isn't there? There is. I'm a five-star Ranger. I'm close to an all-star Ranger. I need like five more badges. To get the all star, yeah. yeah so here's the, the thing: with I wish there were alternative because I, you might, as someone who doesn't do a lot of trailhead, and I think trailhead's great. Don't get me wrong, because I think a lot of people learn that way. They learn through yeah. that guided approach. Okay, so it's great. But I don't learn that way. I learn. I'm the 
I crack the reference manual. And that's how I learn. I can't listen. I, I don't learn by listening because I, I can't listen. Like I have some kind of like whatever like dyslexia of listening is. Too, I have that. But you can't listen. Also marching band. Yeah. I, I think it's an ADD thing. Oh, marching band. Destroys oh. your ears. Oh, yeah. Oh, my ears listen, are. Yeah. My ears are. I have tinnitus so bad. Oh, yeah. Or tinnitus as I was told it's pronounced. Oh, my daughter's starting marching band this summer. So I got to get her some earplugs. earplugs. Oh, yeah. And they make like Edamotic makes these ones. And they're, they're like, I think that's like 20 bucks. Are totally passive, but they just they just attenuate by like ten decibels. So they're great for concerts, and also if you're in marching band, like stick those things in, man. Yeah, I have. Oh, my ears are bad. Uh, yeah, I'll make note of that. Yeah. I mean, she already doesn't listen to me, so yeah. well, I make it worse. But no, I'm a, I'm a definitely I'm a reference. So like the guides, your whether it's LWC, Apex, the CLI, like I go right to the guides because that is or the it's kind of like a reference slash guide thing. That's how I learn. Um, the, You're still collecting release note PDFs? <laughs> <laughs> I had, I stopped doing that because they made it harder. It's, it got so hard. Um, but yeah, I had every version of every release of every PDF of every Salesforce product there was. I was like a hoarder of Salesforce mm-hmm. PDFs. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was one of the engineers behind the new docs yeah. on developer.salesforce.com. Okay. And we were like super excited. It's finally going live. And we're, we've been working on it so hard. This brand new docs experience. And the very first question, like within 10 minutes of it going live yeah, was, of course, uh, I can't download the PDFs anymore. <laughs> that was probably Jeremy. I think he asked that question. And so, I was like, the link not, is there. I, no, it's there. Oh, it's there. It's yeah. there. Oh, yeah. it's, it's there now. Yeah. Yeah. And the link was always there in the JSON object coming back from the doc server. But we just not put it on the page yet. You know, I'm curious what... Um, I, mean, I wouldn't think this is like proprietary. Maybe it is. Um, what what is what are you guys writing the docs in? Because obviously, whatever you're writing in, then you can like you can pub um, it, it generates the the site without the HTML. Everything it generates PDFs. You, I'll generate that from the same source. Is that like Docbook or like uh, ASCII Doc or uh, something? We or? we have it's an internal implementation. Really? Uh, it's got to be based on. They're something. all written in Markdown. Markdown, and Ooh, then they're then transpiled to whatever the source is okay. and so we need a json structure mm-hmm. for developer.salesforce.com and so when you hit the doc it's it's hitting two apis one for the table of contents and then one for the actual doc content yeah and then we're taking that because it's all lightning web components we're then deserializing the json structure and formatting it into what you see on the page and then instantiating lightning web components for the code blocks for the little callouts, mm. and so we're taking the structure and then wrapping it, yeah, with LWCs. I I kind of like uh, like I'm kind of a, a bit of a documentation nerd in terms of like the the technology mm. that people use to produce like complex documentation and even even things like books like um, writing books, especially books that have like complex insets and like um, maybe code or or mathematical. Equi- you know, symbols and equations and things like that's, um, and then being able to like from source, um, you know, then be able to produce like the PDF, the EPUB, the, the, the website or whatever, you know, that's, that's, that's all cool. Just, the, yeah. you know, cause you're going from source and then you're, again, you're like, you're like transpiling it or I guess whatever to like all these different things. That's, yeah. That's fun. Internally, there was a huge project to overhaul the docs workflow. Oh, I mean. Honestly, like doc, there are like people who are basically documentation engineers that build these documentation generation systems. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That I, I enjoy the new documentation. I think it's gotten a lot better. Um, 
Well, I love also that they kept it very Googleable because I pretty much that's how I get to everything is by Googling yeah. it. I'm, I'm, well, sometimes that's that the only way three you can months. get to it. Yeah, that took me three months. Well, obviously, that's I mean, if and it's actually that's another thing that Salesforce has always been great about is having their documentation all public. Whereas, like you know, like you want to read some. I've always had a problem with Oracle's documentation as an example, yeah. or even just getting like a JDBC driver. Like, oh, log in with your Oracle Net account or whatever. And I'm, really. Just to see the documentation, yeah. I'm just sort of, I'm looking up the syntax for like some SQL statement or something, and I can't I can't I can't get into it without logging in with my with my enterprise Oracle account. Yeah, that's so annoying. Yeah, well, so, that, go ahead. Well, I was going to say so. Pretty much the way that it works is you take the URL, and we're actually creating like a page reference object in the back end, and inside of that page reference, we're then calling the API to get whatever docs that we need. And so, in that sense, we're able to keep that referential integrity across any existing references to the documentation and there oh, are nice. like three different versions of it so you can hit and google each doc in a different language or with a different api version and so those are just pulled into that page reference object when you hit the url initially and so it literally in our connected callback we're taking the url and generating the page reference and then going and getting the source for the doc based on the reference that's cool yeah that's all tough. That's all tough things to do that you don't think about when, oh, yeah. when you're talking Absolutely. about building these sites. Is that the, the kind of related topics and things? Like I built one from scratch one time and it was a pain. Yeah. But yeah, people whether it's people who write documentation or um, these people who again work on these documentation build systems or everything. I mean, these these are un, unsung heroes. Yeah, Lightning Web Components were perfect for it. Like it was super amenable to everything that we needed to do, and it was incredibly flexible. That's really interesting. I, I I actually do enjoy components, although I do have some, a lot of my issues just come from trying to learn the best way to use them. You know, you, you can get yourself caught, and I've mentioned this before, how I you end up with too big of a component or you're trying to do too much in JavaScript and you just kind of have to take a step back and say, you know what, that should be its own module in Apex as an API. Let it do the work and then I'll, I'll just consume it. I'll try to keep that, that uh, client level a little thinner. Where's it going to be faster though? Um, honestly, sometimes it's been Apex, um, surprisingly, because a lot of times, a lot of the reasons I moved things to JavaScript was thinking client side, it's going to be fast and performant. But then I was like, you know, I'm having all these issues. I'm having to build all these untyped data structures in, in JavaScript. And I have like three JavaScript files or four or 10 connected into one component that I'm importing in. And I'm like, this is getting a bit crazy. Yeah. I mean, benchmarking is super important there. Really yeah. depends on what the use case is, where it needs to be happening. Yeah, I've I've really made use of just the the Chrome tools, developer tools, and less the Lightning. I still like to use Lightning Inspector, but like with LWR, it's not available, yeah. so I have to use the Network tab, which is just as good. I mean, you get you can see the call, yeah, and you can see the body and everything, so you can get what you need out of it. Yeah. And it's not a Salesforce problem. There's a reason that your computer is almost caught fire every time you're using more than like ten Chrome tabs. Yeah, because people aren't checking and testing to see where they should be performing some of these actions. It, yeah. it reminds me also. Do you guys remember? I mean, I'm sure this has taken many, many forms, but like, there's always that you know, as a software developer, you, you need to understand this. Like, in let me introduce this here real quick. This is from American Solera. They are in Atulsa, Oklahoma, as well as I think they have a location in OKC now, but they're mainly in Tulsa. This is called ISO Tacos. So, in, hmm. in search of tacos, is I guess in Imperial. It is an imperial stout aged in Laird's apple brandy barrels. 
it's 13, quite sweet. 13, yeah. Yeah. So it's third. Yeah. It's basically like, yeah, it's, it's thick as they, as the kids say with two C's thick. Um, yeah. 13%. It's sweet. What was I saying? Oh, um, you have to understand like the order of magnitude. Cause it's feel like, it's like you add an order of magnitude every time you pass one of these thresholds, but like, you know, in process function calls. Okay. That's one order of magnitude out of process calls or, or like inter-process communication. That's another order of magnitude. Um, hitting a disk or any kind of IO. That's a, yet another order of magnitude. Mm-hmm. Um, hitting a network. Another order of magnitude. Going across the internet. Okay. Many hops. That's, there's other, at least another order of magnitude for all this. So these things all add up and, you know, depending on what you're trying to do. I mean, if you're, um, you know, crunching. I mean, it's like, it reminds me of, that's why, um, like spark kind of took the mantle over from Hadoop, right? Cause Hadoop was like disc based, you know, processing jobs. So each, and each step would like read, you know, massive amounts of data from the disc, but then write it back to disc. And the mm-hmm. next step would then read it back in from disc and back to disc. And then spark comes out and that's like, well, we're just gonna keep everything in memory. And they have these like data frame and it's like, you know, totally we're solving the same problems. We're just going to do it a hundred times faster than Hadoop's doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just understanding those orders of magnitude. And so it's like, yeah, where should you do this processing? Should you send it to a browser across the internet? Okay. That's lots of orders of magnitude. That's lots of zeros you're adding to this. Mm-hmm. Or should you just do it, you know, on the runtime, which is. I mean, there's, there's some things. A lot there's, less zeros. There's definitely some trade-offs. Like, <laughs> where possible, I'll, I'll do a, a JavaScript sort instead of running back and running a new query yeah, type stuff. Yeah. But then there's also things like quirks in the platform, like the caching bugs me. Because if I have a large data set and it's cached, I don't get a hook that says, I'm loading, I'm thinking about this, I'm matching up to see if, if anything's changed before I, I call your stuff. Well, to the user, my stuff's broken. It's hang, It's hung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I have to kind of bypass some of the caching, even though I'd love to keep caching on. But because I'm dealing with a data set that that potentially mm. causes a misconception with the user, I yeah. kind of have to bypass it and go imperative on that stuff. Yeah, so caching is always a fun problem. Yeah. yeah, it really depends on your patterns as well. So, like, I have this pattern that I'm u- using quite frequently. If I have like a really complicated UI mm-hmm. where all have either some metadata or like a settings object i've been writing a lot of setup ui for apps and stuff in core which is oddly one of my favorite things to do like for app exchange solutions and stuff i like it and want to get into it because i need to but i haven't made the time yeah i've got some cool stuff coming some some patterns that i'm going to release but i'll I'll have a settings object that i'll then bring into the component and then i have no qualms making as many calls back to the server as i need to because it doesn't really hit performance very often as long as you've got that core definition to render the UI initially, then I'll go and get the data that I need to when I need to, mm-hmm. instead of having to pull it all down immediately and render the UI and wrap around it. How do you feel about the UI knowing so much about the backend database? Because that, that's been a sticking point for me as well. And I've seen some really bad architectured applications that were huge. And the client side just knew way too much about the backend. Well, the clients are supposed to be dumb, right? Yeah, <clears throat> they are. But does it need to be reusable? Is there a reason that it needs to be dumb in this customer's highly complicated? I I didn't have access to the original developers. This was actually an ISV product. See, this oh, all goes right. back to they were, they were doing things like building queries in the client and then sending the query through Apex to run the query and then getting the data back. It was just a lot of things, and it was just like 
to make a change, I had to go in so many places. This all goes back to, to pragmatism and premature optimization, which we all know you're, you need to avoid. But there's also readability. Because here's the problem. With, with the thing I just described, like the orders of magnitude, like you can have a developer who just is like, they, they just read that and they, they're, that's, what, that's how they're going to drive all of their decisions now. And they spend a month nerding it up on way over-optimizing for something that doesn't even matter. And of course, the problem you deal with there is like you blow all your productivity, you blow all your time on trying to optimize the crap out of something that wouldn't even have mattered because literally the whole thing would have been 150 millisecond one round trip and no one would care about that. True. (laughs) But I I think there's something to be said, and I'm not sure if this is what you're getting at, but I think there's something to be said about challenging your own patterns. Like I have patterns and and I rely on them heavily for productivity, but there are times I'm like, I want to do this differently. I want to see if I can do this better or if I can make this better. And a lot of times that takes me down a road where I was like, no, I made this really worse. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's just part of the exercise as well. Yeah. I'm, that's why we do like, you know, try to do short iterations and get, get your, whether it's even just to yourself, get, get your feedback quick and make a decision. Like, mm-hmm. is this, is this a good path to go down before I even further commit or should I just back up and, and go, I think that's, go another that's where a lot of my stories of, of late have come from when it comes to, to lightning web components, because I've, I've, I've traditionally tried to keep the client extremely thin. And so most of everything is being done on apex side. And I challenged myself to see if I could do more in, in, in lightning. And that's when I started having this explosion of JavaScript files, this, this explosion of import statements, because I'm trying to import the schema and the fields and everything else that's needed for wires and, and object info access and all that kind of stuff. And all the functions, the reusable functions have to get added in just to get a pick list from that field yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I can render it. And don't get me started if it's dependent pick list. Yeah. yeah. You know? Did y'all see that article I posted in the Slack that was um, in defense of single page applications? Hmm. So you, you click on it. It's a blog post. It's in the title of it is in, def, is in defense of single page applications. And the the gag is you go to it and it's got a loading spinner that just never goes just away. Never goes it doesn't, away. Article, there's no article there. It never loads. But it's funny how, and if you guys, I don't know if you ever, and I caution anyone like spending too much time on Hacker News because you can, it can send you in ridiculous directions. But like uh, among the, you know, tech tech roddy or whatever you want to call it i mean there's a lot of uh pendulum swinging back from from single page applications like a lot of and it started with i feel like it started with like you know react and, and view um bringing back like what do you call it um what was ssg static no no um server static site generators yeah i guess static site generators but also just um SSR server side rendering of a lot of stuff. So I'm like, now people are doing way more stuff on the server, and I'm just I'm confused by this. All. I don't do a lot of UI stuff anyway. It's uh, a pendulum. It is one of those techniques was was the um, uh, WebSocket one that was doing that. It, w- it was accomplishing server side rendering using WebSockets. So you would send a re- it's a real time communication, but the, you're communicating with the server saying, "I need this." It renders it. It sends you, and you just chunk it on the screen. Yeah, WebSockets are super popular at the moment. Yeah. Um, what I mean, is, that's just one of those creative uses. Like, I would have never thought to do that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, like, to me, because that seems counterintuitive. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold a connection on this server, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, it's just gonna wait for me to tell, tell me what UI I need. It depends on your team mix. Well, it's bi-directional too. Like, the UI says, "Hey, they just clicked on this, get me this," and then the server says, "Okay, I'm gonna do some stuff," and it just 
it instead of rendering just JSON back to you, it just renders like the markup back. Yeah, to but you. here's where my my ignorance probably comes in is I'm thinking I'm holding a thread on that server because I've got a website. No, it doesn't hold a thread. That's okay. so that. Oh gosh, I mean, um, oh, uh, like with a non-blocking non-blocking async IO and these these frameworks that they don't yeah it's not a thread anymore i don't no. i don't understand the super low level bits of it but it's it's not it's not thread bound well that's good so just whenever there's some event then it then it spins up a thread and responds right but it's not holding a yeah they're not threads held open for all these that's how you can scale up i mean because salesforce like with their stream the whole streaming api which is what backs like cdc and platform events and all and push topics um i mean they can that can support i'm, I'm sure i you know, just one instance can support millions of concurrent of current um, subscribers because it doesn't have threads open for these. Yeah, it makes sense. Because, you know, you can only have, I mean, on any given machine, you can only have like uh, probably, I'm sure machines max out like 32 or 60,000 threads anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not, it's not thread bound. That's another thing that I think, I mean, Salesforce APIs, that's, that's one thing you got to give them a lot of credit for, but that that's streaming. I'm using it more in integrations now. I didn't, I was real slow to like platform events and change data capture from an API perspective. Um, but I feel like it's pretty damn solid. My only, my only problem with it is just uh, like with CDC is if I want more than, I think it's five, five objects, you know, you got to pay and just, that's just such a, for a lot of our clients, because we, we kind of, we kind of specialize in, in like nonprofits in in smaller schools with smaller budgets, and it's just it's it's really it's really a big thing to you know I don't know to get to to ask for that. So, yeah. but when I can get it, it's it's just it's it's just so it's really pretty solid. It's real time. I mean, as real time as you can get going across the web, you know. But it's it's really nice. Yeah. CDC is pretty great. I have to say, my new favorite Salesforce feature is the event relays that relay your platform events into AWS and allow you to pick them up in EventBridge. I've never done that. And so you can now, it's in, it's in beta at the moment. Um, Oh, sorry. No. Yeah. It's in beta. It should be going GA towards the end of the year, I think is the current uh, forecast on that. And you can then set up a grouping of platform events that you want to funnel into a channel. And so what you do is in the, in through the tooling API, you define a, an event channel, which is the same way that CDC works. Mm. So you funnel, you create your event channel, you then can create event channel members and then assign and define platform events that funnel into that channel. And then you can create an event relay config that will funnel those into AWS. And then you can subscribe to them via the event bridge event bus. And then you can do whatever you need to do. And then vice versa, you can use API destinations in AWS to publish platform events from your Lambda functions, from step functions, from whatever you want to do in AWS. So does Salesforce know about AWS or does AWS know about Salesforce in this? Uh, vice versa. You actually make the connection in your event relay config mm-hmm. and you, you, you control the status of that event bus. So when you create your event relay config in AWS, it creates a partner event source for you. And so you have a named credential that's set up with your AWS account. Okay. You then will select the AWS account, your event channel, and then it will create that partner event source. And then you have to go and activate it in AWS. And then you can run it in Salesforce. You can mm-hmm. run it. You can pause it. And when you pause it, it will queue up the events as well for cool. then republishing. Yeah. And so that's sort of the, the direction that platform events are headed in is using that actual platform event channel 
to then group and filter and bundle platform events. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I yeah, mean, it unlocks cool. so much for yeah. companies. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I would think, on like bigger companies that are doing larger volumes of mm-hmm. tr- you know, transactional stuff. Yep. And it's not an additional charge. It's just your platform event limits. Really? And so if you need to scale up your platform event limits, that's where yeah. it will then cost you. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I wonder what, I'm curious what, I've always wondered kind of what Salesforce is using under the hood for its kind of message, messaging queuing system. Well, so I, I don't know if they talk about that. You know, it's funny, by the way, plug for the Salesforce, um, what do they call it? Their in, not their, well, they, they have an engineering, they have those engineering Twitter account, but what's their, they have a, a blog, a site, Salesforce engineering site. Yeah. I mean, they will talk about some of the stuff under the, under the hood. That's pretty, really interesting. I don't know the current status of it. There was a, a talk on it at TDX, and Philippe on my team has been owning a lot of this content. There is a new PubSub API that's all based on gRPC that is mm. in a state. I don't know what the state is, unfortunately, at the moment, because yeah. I have not touched any of it yet. But that is the future of PubSub for Salesforce's old gRPC. Yeah, it's nice because you got bindings to every language and everything. Mm-hmm. Cool stuff going on. Well, Stefan, I know we probably need to let you go because you have uh, you have events to get to. Uh, appreciate you stopping by, man. Of course, it's great to be here in person. The studio does exist. It does Anyone exist. Concerned? Yeah. It's even it's got the logo on the wall. You know, this is, shit's real here, man. We're not making this up. <laughs> when I when I got to the desk, I asked for Jeremy Ross. I asked for Elevation. Nope. Good day, sir. Studios. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm such an ass, there's no way they don't know my name here. <laughs> They're probably like, oh, that Jeremy guy. Yeah, he's down there. <laughs> um, well, so what do you what what would you like to plug before you head out? Uh, keep your eyes out for some Dreamforce announcements. There's going to be some really cool stuff. As well as developer.salesforce.com. We have a great blog there with loads of great release content. We have a lot of the product managers. We have engineers. We have ourselves as advocates that are constantly writing blogs to post on the website, as well as the Salesforce Developers YouTube channel. We've mm-hmm. got a huge push towards still creating video content and publishing it there. Is that mainly from events, or do you guys ever produce just it's just original content for that channel? It's all well. I'd say it's ninety five percent original content, whether that be live streaming or. Uh, us just producing video content. That's great. I, that's something that, yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad you plugged that because that's one of those things I forget, I forget about. I need to check out, you know. No, I check it out all the time. Do you really? Yeah. I go yeah. through the playlist. I need to, I I'm need, behind on a lot of your playlist. Um, I, I, was, to, I was doing a lot of uh, experience cloud stuff. So I was on, um, uh, Renee. Renee. Yeah. Renee has some his, great yeah. content on there. So here's a cool thing. Uh, we now have a cross cloud developer relations team that Rene has started. And the first member of that is a marketing cloud developer advocate. And so we're really starting to invest in a lot of that. And so you should, should start to see content from them coming through the channels as well. What's yeah. Renee's last name? Uh, Winklemeyer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. John, you got anything else? Nope. No. All right. Why are you looking at me? Because I... Because I, I like you, John. That's why I wink at you. Must be the beard. Or the beer. Both. All right, John. Oh, you're not going to do your, your, your normal spiel? 
Oh, normal spiel, I guess. Share us on the socials. Uh, send us an email if we'll do it anonymously. And actually, we do have some follow up, but we'll do it next time since we had a we have a guest this week. So, uh, if you live in Vegas, let us know because we will send a coffee, a good day, sir, coffee mug home with Stefan, and he'll hand deliver to you. I'm kidding. <laughs> we have a very small <laughs> Salesforce developer community in Vegas. We have a, a a growing developer community though. Yeah. Like we have a dev meetup, a Salesforce dev meetup inside of a bigger tech meetup okay. as like one of the rooms, which yeah. is kind of cool. So we get a lot of people curious about Salesforce. Yeah. That's growing. That's cool. Salesforce curious. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, we Slack channel. Yeah. We, so we mentioned that several times and glad to hear that the, uh, the, uh, this good day sir community seems to be influential in its own little ways. And, but we're, it's a very, I feel like it's a, um, very helpful place. There's a lot of support that we, Give each other whether it's technical or uh, comic relief. There are shocking emotional of, of product managers in that. Slack yeah, channel. yeah, yeah. I mean, something happened Slack recently because we had an influx of people coming in too. Yeah. So appreciate anybody who's who's putting the word out. Yep. Uh, that's good day. Oh wait, no, sorry, because John hasn't fixed our website yet. I can't fix it. www.gooddayserpodcast.com and you just click on community. Yeah. Uh, we need we need more. In fact. Oh, it's it's hidden back there. We have this box of so many stickers, y'all. Please don't don't be shy. We can ship stickers anywhere in the world. And yes, there's a big blank spot on Stefan's laptop, so he's going to get stickered before he leaves. Um, but yeah, so you can contact us on Slack, but also just or just email us info at gooddaysterpodcast dot com and put stickers in your subject and give us your address. How many stickers you want? We will send you stickers. What am I forgetting, John? Uh, that's it. All right. Well, then you know what to do. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.